Hi, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. We have two more weeks in the book of John. It is so crazy. Today, we're going to talk about chapters 18 and 19, which are really highlighting the arrest and the death of Jesus. So this is heavy, but it's so good. And we know the end of the story, so it's even better. Hey guys, welcome back. That week off yeah. honestly felt so long. <laughs> it really did. It's kind of wild. It flew by, but also felt yeah. like I haven't recorded a podcast in months. In so long, I know. Um, we both took vacation last week. Yes, and we didn't even plan it. It just lined up that way, which is kind of cool. So I went to Montana. It's amazing. And y'all hiked and camped and stuff. We did. We were in a camper, so oh a little safer camping. So, And you went to the beach. Yeah, went to the Outer Banks, which was so fun. My family's been going there, I mean, forever. It's my favorite place in the world, so it was good to spend some time there for sure. That's so nice. I've seen pictures, and I think it might be my favorite place too. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I have some crazy sunset pictures to show you. Um. Well, so we actually only have two more weeks of John left, yeah. so... It's crazy how slow it felt at the beginning, but now we have, this week we have 18 and 19, and next week we have 20 and 21, and then we're done. So today we're talking about the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, which of course is really um, serious and heavy and important, but also it's it's really special and beautiful knowing the end. So I think it's yeah. definitely reverent, but it's also so hopeful. Mm-hmm. The thing that we are going to focus on today is mostly kind of reading these words to you so that you can have them word for word, exactly what comes out of scripture, especially yeah. for chapter 19. I was talking to everybody about it last night. Like we could write 20 books on yeah. these, this chap- these two chapters and it wouldn't be enough. Like there's so much to learn and there's so much to see. And we're not even going to scratch the surface. We just want y'all to hear and to um, recognize the holiness of these two chapters. So I don't know. I think that's a good place to allow our hearts to get to is to come in humility and looking to the Lord and saying, you are holy. And thank you. Honestly, thank you for sending your son to die for us. That's what we're about to read about. Yeah, for sure. For us, the purpose for this podcast is to give you guys a tangible and more comfortable relationship with scripture. So we're kind of just reading this together. And really the point is to show you we can read all the way through John together. And today we can look at 18 and 19 in like 30 to 45 minutes. But like the number of times that you could study this and get different things out of it. That's the thing about scripture. And so I just encourage y'all, if you've made it this far, engaging with scripture is fresh every time. And it's it's such an honor to be able to do this. And so if through this, you've been able to develop a habit of reading scripture, I'm so proud of y'all. And I hope that it's just been helpful. Before we start, Anna, will you pray? I'd love to. Um Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the chance to study scripture, to study your word, to study what you did um, when you were here on earth. Lord, I just pray that we would come before you with hearts that are humble, looking to you and recognizing your holiness, recognizing um, how grateful we are for you, for the fact that you came and died on a cross. Uh, Jesus, we just pray that we would continue to lean into you 
um, and to look to you and to fall more in love with you. We just say that we love you and we trust you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to highlight 18 for y'all. And if you'll remember, we're coming out of the Last Supper. So we talked about that for two weeks in a row. It was really special because it's the most concentrated, lengthy speeches from Jesus that we get. And so you definitely want to go back and read those. I love the red letter version of a Bible. If you have that, the red letters are when Jesus is speaking. And for those chapters that we covered, like 14, 15, 16, 17, there is so much red. Yeah. (laughs) And I I love that because you know, like, this is what Jesus actually said. But he's just finished talking to his disciples and he prayed to God. And then they are moving to the garden. And it's so obvious that this is part of the plan. Jesus has gone to such lengths. He told Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Mm -hmm. And you'll see in chapter 18 that that happens exactly. And he tells everybody else that Jesus is going to betray him. It's so wild because he's literally walking to the garden where he knows Judas is going to be to arrest him. And so I'm going to read you this little part. It's chapter 18, verse 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there to the garden with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward to them and said, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? I'm going to stop there for now. They arrested him and they take him to the high priest. So a couple of things happen there. One thing to highlight that's really important is that all throughout the Old Testament, when God is telling people what to call him, It's I am. Mm -hmm. So like for us, we would say, I am Matt or I am Emily or I am whatever. And it's like, no, for God, it's like I am. So I read somewhere to translate it into English. The only way to make it make sense is to say I am he. But in the original language and in the original text, the way that he answers them in the garden, he says, I am, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is such a mic drop moment because not only is he going there to meet them to surrender himself to go to his death, but he's also very clearly like telling them I'm God, right? (laughs) which is just amazing. I mean, it is crazy. And like their response is to fall back. Yeah, they fell back and Judas just stood there. Like, I mean, obviously Jesus said in the last chapter that this was part of the plan, but you know, that has to hurt. So I want to look at Peter again. I do love him for so many reasons because he is so passionate. So even though they just had this long conversation about how (laughs) it's Jesus's hour and it's time for him to go to his death, they're here Mm -hmm. and like they're talking about it all the way to the garden and they get to the garden 
he's going to be arrested and Peter still like draws his sword and cuts off someone's ear, which I think is so interesting. Like it definitely is an example of how sometimes our emotions can override what God says, you know? Yeah. I feel like Peter is the perfect, like such a good example of that. Like all Mm -hmm. throughout, at least the book of John, you see him like, being so emotionally charged yeah which I can relate to oh lot. me too like I don't know if anybody else is kind of emotional or like like if I'm feeling good like my reactions towards the Lord sometimes change and yeah. we see that in Peter a hundred percent and just like your security changes yeah. we'll see in just a minute like sometimes for me when I'm feeling really secure my trust in the Lord feels really strong and I can cling on to his word and his truth. But then when I'm feeling unsafe, that can sort of change my trust in him. And that's what we're about to see because Jesus predicted for this purpose, not really to show that he's mad, more likely to show that he is God and knows everything Mm -hmm. and knows us so deeply. But he predicted that Peter would deny him three times and the rooster would crow. So we see this. Basically, um, they've taken Jesus to the high priest. So there's two guys, Annas and Caiaphas. So Caiaphas is the actual high priest and Annas is his father-in-law. So they both act sort of as high priest. He talks to Annas first. It says that there's um, Peter and another disciple. That's John. I was curious about that. I looked into it. And after listening to a few sermons, I feel like that's what I've gathered Um Feel free to correct me if you find out something else. But what I think is happening here is John, the author, and Peter are going with Jesus. And when they get to the high priest, they don't recognize Peter, but they do recognize John. And so John goes inside with Jesus, and Peter stays outside with the soldiers, and he's trying to keep warm because it's it's cold. And over a conversation, there's three different times that people ask him, weren't you with him? Are you one of his disciples? And he denies Jesus three times. And then the rooster crows. But during that, there's another conversation happening and it's between Jesus and the high priest. So um, verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those around me who have heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And it's then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the one thing I want to point out about that that I learned is that this is not the typical justice system for the Jews. Like in their justice system, you would have to bring witnesses and they would have to testify against you in order for you to be charged. In the Roman system, obviously they can put people to death. Like the Roman right. the Roman way of handling criminals was often crucifying, but that was not the Jewish way. In 31, Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they couldn't put anyone to death. They had to bring witnesses in order to convict somebody. It was definitely a more fair system. And Jesus in this conversation with Annas is basically pointing out 
this is not fair. This is not how things are done. Like I, I haven't done anything wrong. I, I taught openly. There was nothing in secret. This is not like a coup. I'm not doing anything wrong. Ask the people, they heard what I said and I haven't taught anything wrong. And so Annas didn't have anything to say back to him and they sent him tied up to the high priest. And this is where he has a conversation with Pontius Pilate. I have always been so intrigued by him because he just seems like he's about to believe in Jesus the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's very true. He's definitely, he seems very like intrigued by Jesus almost. Yeah. Unsure, but also like, I don't know about this guy. (laughs) He's trying to have deniability. He keeps trying to give everybody else the opportunity to arrest him. Yes. And, And then at the end of the day, he is still at fault. But Jesus says something to him that I think is very interesting. So I'm going to read this story. This is the end of 18. So basically now they've gone from the high priest to they're talking to somebody who's Roman, not Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so Passover is about to happen and they don't want to defile themselves before Passover. So they're waiting outside and, and Pilate comes outside to them and asks them, what is he being accused of? So here we start at verse 29. So Pilate went outside of them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So that means he had predicted that he was going to be crucified. And obviously Jews don't put anyone to death that way. So anyway... At verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want this man or Barabbas? Not this man, Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. So that's the end of 18. And and there's only a couple things that I want to point out because I think it does speak for itself. But the question that Pilate asks is, are you the king of the Jews? And I think he asks this, for a couple different reasons. A king is somebody who's in charge. And so he's asking like, are you in charge of something? Are are you a leader of some group? Are you a threat to power? You know, like he's asking him a very literal question. Yeah. Basically trying to pinpoint exactly what it is that he's done wrong. (laughs) Um, Right. But Jesus immediately starts trying to engage with him on a deeper level, which is Classic Jesus, and I love. He says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Mm -hmm. So what he's asking is, who am I to you? Are you asking if I am a king because you think I might be? 
or are you just trying to get to the bottom of this case? And Pilate's response is basically like, what have you done? <laughs> I'm not I'm not Jewish. I have no clue what you've done. I'm just trying to figure this out. And Jesus's response is, my kingdom is not of this world. And I love this. This is probably the most important part. This is verse 37, kind of halfway through. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. In the sermon from Tim Keller that I listened to that hit me the hardest, it was about this line. And this really does circle back to everything that we've talked about from the very beginning. Jesus came to complete the law. We've talked about that a lot. Like Moses brought down the Ten Commandments, and they were a set of laws that Jewish people were to live by. They were in Mm -hmm. a pagan culture where everybody was doing—I mean, they were killing— they were raping, they were pillaging, they bad. Bad. <laughs> yeah, they're so bad. And um and God was like, "Hey, I want my people to be set apart in this way. Like I want them mm-hmm. to be good." God saying, "I want to set my people apart." But ultimately, rules don't change people's heart. Right. So Jesus enters the scene, and I love what he's saying here. He came to bear witness to the truth. So the difference between truth and rules is the truth is something that has changed your mind. Like you've seen the light and now you believe it for yourself. It's it's something that a rule can't do. You know what I mean? Yeah. He Jesus came to change hearts. So I, I just love that that was his purpose. Like he could have just left us to our own devices and like we would have just imploded probably, you know, like the, the world <laughs> I mean, was yeah. not going well. And, and instead he extended grace and love and came to show us the truth and so i love that and what's so cool about that too is like most other religions the whoever the god of that religion is doesn't care enough about the people to actually come and like be with them and save them but right jesus like god does jesus does care you know like he didn't leave us just alone on our own to figure it out like that's not that's not him. That's not how he works. Right. Our God, like the true God, it's about a relationship and yeah. it's about a change of heart. And it's, I just love it. And so the one question that it kind of leaves us with at the end of chapter 18 is who is God to you? Like, has it become mm-hmm. personal for you? Like, has it, has his truth like changed your heart or is it just a set of rules? Cause Jesus came to really melt hearts of stone and like make us alive. And I I love from chapter 17, like abiding in the vine. I just love how all of this goes together. And I hope that it feels the same way for y'all. Cause I'm like, it's so fun to be able to piece it together and know where it came from. And it makes it so much more tangible. And it's so important. Like Jesus asking right before he's crucified, asking essentially like, who am I to you? You know, he doesn't say that point blank, but that's kind of what he's asking is like, who do you say that I am? Yeah. So yeah, 19. Um, so now moving on to chapter 19 and how we're going (laughs) to go through chapter 19 is we're really just going to read it because this is the story of Jesus getting crucified. Like we read it in chapter 19 and, I didn't want to summarize it because I think that y'all hearing the words exactly as they're written is really important. So I'm going to stop a couple times along the way to try and help explain things. But primarily, we're just going to read through chapter 19 and then we're going to almost, I like to call it a double click. Like we're going to zoom in on 
um, the two things that Jesus says right before he dies. And then we'll finish out the episode. So chapter 19, this is verse 1 through 24. We're going to read that first. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. So at this point, he's been passed back and forth from person to person to person. Finally, he's left with Pilate and Pilate is like, all right, well, I'm going to flog him. And it doesn't tell us in this version necessarily, but um, I think he received 39 lashes and it was thought in those days that 40 would kill you. So Jesus has been whipped on the back and it's a rope that is braided together and the braids actually have like pieces of glass and shard in them so and bone in them so it it really does like tear your skin off tears your skin off so jesus is being flogged and he gets 39 lashes um and then after that they put a robe on his back a purple robe which symbolizes royalty and a crown of thorns, which was pushed into his head. Um, so that's not the obvious. They are so obviously mocking him at that yeah. point. And it says, they came to him saying, hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, them being the Jewish people, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, behold, the man. So Pilate is declaring, like, I I don't find any fault in him. I don't think we should kill him. And it says, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I love that because Pilate thinks that Jesus's fate is in his hands. Mm -hmm. Like he, I think he is carrying this burden and feeling like you're the fate of this innocent man is in my hands. And Jesus is saying like, no, it's not, it's not in your hands. It's in God's hands. And like the only way you would have authority is if that had been given to you from God. This was the most convicting thing that I heard from Tim Keller about this chapter. So at verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So if if we zoom in on that, he's basically saying the Jews who have betrayed me and delivered me over to you to be killed, they have the greater sin, mm-hmm. but you still have sin. Sin. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. really important to look at because there is no neutral ground here. It's mm-hmm. it's like believing or not. Yeah. I've always found this part with Pilate to be like it's carried a lot of tension in my heart because Me too. you don't want Pilate to crucify him, but no. also we we do. Like right. because if he didn't die, 
he wouldn't have died for our sins. Like he wouldn't have taken on all of our sins and we wouldn't be able to be in a relationship with God. So like, ah, uh, so it's very weird because you're reading it and you're like, no, don't do it. But also do it. Like it's such a weird tension. I think he's also trying to absolve him of guilt a little bit because he says you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Right. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's he's true. he's trying to say you are sinning. Yeah. But this is part of the plan. It's going to happen either right. way. So I think it's like, <clears throat> it's, this, it's this two-sided thing where it's like people are sinful and yet God can use it as part of his plan, but it doesn't change yeah. the fact that we'll be held accountable for our sin. I think that was the thing <laughs> that, that I heard from that sermon that really stood out. Um, yeah, we're still accountable for our sins. And when we were talking about how to pray, um, maybe that was last week, um, the last episode that we did. And we were talking about confessing sins and how important that is. And the importance of that in our relationship with God, that has just stuck with me. And I think this is another place where that comes full circle is like, we are still accountable for our sin. And so confessing those to God daily, if not, mm-hmm. you know, weekly or just today when you think of it or whatever. Um, (laughs) It's like an important part of just recognizing our need for him. That's so good and so true. Um, So then we're going to pick up in verse 12 and it says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, which is like, that's crazy that John includes that. Like Pilate did not want to do this. He wanted to release him. And so the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. Now it was the day of preparation of Passover, which is crazy because we've talked about this in a past podcast, but Passover was celebrating when God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and the fact that they had put the blood of a lamb around their door to protect yep. them from the final plague. But the day of preparation for Passover was when they were preparing to slaughter the lambs yeah. for Passover. It's so Which crazy. Like, that I that stood out to me this time. I was like, whoa, that timing of that is just crazy. So it was the day of preparation for Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, he being Pilate, he says, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to be crucified. That last part, when the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. I know, it hurts. It, it does hurt, and it's them submitting to the world like yeah they are saying that caesar is their king for so long they had longed for a king like all throughout the old testament um they asked the lord to give them a king and instead he gives them judges and he gives them other uh people prophets whatever but they'd wanted a king and they finally have king jesus but he's standing right in front of them and they're saying that their king is Caesar and Caesar kind of represents the world in a way yeah, like for sure. represents worldliness. So I think that to me stood out as well. Like we have no king, but Caesar and says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called 
the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And that, writing an inscription and putting it above the whoever was being crucified's head, that was actually like customary. You would write what they had done to be mm. crucified, like why that was happening. Um, and so that's why that's written above his head, which is kind of crazy, like King of the Jews. That's all that they found wrong with him. Most people would write like murderer or yeah. whatever they had done. Um, so it says... Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written is what I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. We're going to stop there for a second. This chapter has so many things throughout it that point back to Old Testament scriptures, um, in a sermon I was listening to, Tim Keller talks, he highlights Psalm 22 and it talks about like they cast lots for my clothing. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just another example for me, at least of like, wow, the Bible, like the Bible is written by God. Like there's no way yeah. man, man could like tie all these things together. It's insane. It's really insane. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think that that's important. It there will be several times throughout that it says to fulfill the scripture, and that when he's saying to fulfill the scripture, what that is meaning is there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said that this would happen, and Jesus is fulfilling that. Then we're gonna skip over the next couple of verses. It says it talks about how Jesus sees his mom, and um, it's a really it's a sweet moment. But for timing's sake, we're gonna keep moving. And so we're going to pick up on verse 28 and says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We're going to come back to that in just a second, but I'm going to keep reading. It says, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Um, so why they were coming to break the legs of the people that were being crucified is because when you were crucified you actually didn't die from the pain you uh you died from either dehydration or from suffocation because Mm. your arms would be up higher than almost like higher than your head and so it was really hard to breathe 
And in order to get a breath, what people would have to do is they would push up on the nail that was between their feet. And I know this is really graphic and honestly hard to hear. I I was thinking earlier when you were talking about why we talk about the resurrection story a lot and sometimes Mm -hmm. gloss over the crucifixion story. I think it's because it's hard to hear. Um, It's like I I don't do well with... (laughs) I don't know if gory is the right word, but things that can feel painful. It makes me kind of squeamish. But that is the reality. Your your feet were placed one on top of the other and there was a big nail that went through them. And so you, people would have to push up to get a breath and then they would fall back down. And Jesus had already died, so his legs didn't have to be broken. But the people on either side of him were still alive. They were still fighting for their life. And so when the, they break their legs... You can no longer push up and get a breath. Yep. Which is also really cool because it's to fulfill the scripture that not a bone in his body was broken. And so then, like I said, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is going to be resurrected. And so when he is, his bones aren't broken. Like that's just, I don't know. It's just so humbling to see how prophecies that were inspired by God from 500 plus years before literally say things like they'll cast lots for his clothes and not a bone will be broken Mm -hmm. and they'll pierce his side. And like Mm -hmm. they, all of this stuff happened. And I mean, it's so wild that Passover, the original Passover happens, but then all these years later on Passover, the true redemption of all of us happened. It's just so crazy. The true sacrificial lamb. Right. Right. We talked about this around Advent, but the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and that's where all of the pure sacrificial lambs were born and raised. I mean, it's just insane. It is really crazy. Um, Okay, so I'm going to finish this part and then we're going to go back to the two phrases that Jesus says while he's on the cross. Okay. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. Yeah, that's John. Mm -hmm. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So we're going to stop right there, and then at the very end, we'll read the last section when Jesus is buried. But before we get to that, I do want to just circle back up to... Verses 28 through 30. I'm just going to read part of it. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. When I first read that, like honestly for years, until I started studying for this podcast, I always kind of just thought, oh, Jesus is thirsty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's in pain. He wants a drink of water. And I also kind of got mad at them for giving him sour wine. I was like, yeah. why don't we give him real water? Like what the heck? And when I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, (laughs) I don't know how many times we can say that in a podcast, but a lot. He says, and I had never thought about this before. And I, it to me like blew my mind that moment when Jesus is saying, I thirst, it's not about being physically thirsty. It's about being spiritually thirsty. Mm. If you remember back a few chapters ago, we talk about how Jesus says, I am the living water and if you remain in me, you'll never be thirsty when he's mm-hmm. having a conversation with the woman at the well. And so for the first time in his life, Jesus is separated from God. 
We know this when we look at um, Mark and Matthew, Mark 15, verse 34, and also Matthew 27, verse 46. In the same moment, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what he's yeah. saying when he's saying, I thirst, is for the first time he doesn't have that living water with him. Because God, this is like hard to understand, but also so important to understand is that when Jesus took on all of our sin, he had to be separated from God because God cannot come in contact with sin. That's yeah. why they were doing all of these purification rituals and sacrificing animals was to try and help make themselves clean so that they could enter the temple. So when Jesus is taking on all of our sin, he has to be separated from God for the first time in his life. Because if he's not, like he can't take on the sin of the world. So his thirst right there is not physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. I read in my study Bible, this is wild, like the hyssop plant that they used to give him water is what they would have used to take the blood of the lamb, to put it around their door, to protect them in Egypt. That's crazy. Egypt. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like a sponge. Yeah, that's like, crazy. It's like a sponge. And that's what they would have used to put the blood of the lamb around their door to protect them from killing your firstborn son. Like, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's so crazy. Uh, um, so, yeah, I want we want to make sure you all hear that. And like in this moment, Jesus is taking on the sin of the world. Yeah. And then right after, right after he receives the the wine the sour wine he says it is finished and he bows his head and gives up his spirit so that's him dying um and it is finished also in i guess in aramaic is to die. i think it's aramaic might be greek i don't know uh and that was actually what you would write so in those days if people had a bill to be paid or some type of debt when it was fully paid off at the top of the sheet they would write to die. it is finished and so what Jesus is saying here is that the debt's paid. All, yeah, the debt is paid. Like the debt for your sin is paid. There's no more and there's nothing you can do to add to it. Like I have paid it off. Mm. And in Luke 23 and Matthew 27, it talks about how at that moment there's a darkness that comes over the land. Like this is a dark, it's a, it's a glorious part of the story, but it's also a dark part of the story because we're watching Jesus die. It's watching him die, but it's also the hard part is early on, we were talking about Jesus's first miracle at the wedding at Cana. Mm -hmm. And he says, my hour is not yet come to his mom. And I had listened to a sermon that said, you know, Jesus was not ready to die. But I think the better way of saying that is Jesus is not ready to be separated from God. Mm. Like that's the pain that he can't take. It's not yeah. it's not just the physical pain of death as much as it is like the pain of being separated from God. Mm. That's so true. Like that's the hardest part to watch is like the torture is him, God, yeah. taking on all of separated. our sin and being separated. Yeah. It tells us in Matthew 27 verse 51 that at that exact moment the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Yeah, from top to bottom and that curtain is what separated the people the sinful people from what was considered the holy of holies which is where they believed god dwelled so what is happening is the curtain being torn is symbolizing like hey i'm not separated from you anymore like there's a new access to the father and jesus is removing the barrier to access him like he has removed that 
the, the curtain. He's torn the curtain. And now we can come into the presence of the Lord. Can you even imagine standing there and then when he dies, yeah. watching the curtain tear like as if it's from heaven? Because like if if you were trying to stand there and tear the curtain of the Holy of Holies, you'd be standing on the ground. So you would need to tear it from the bottom up. But like the curtain rips on its own from top to bottom. It's so wild if you just put yourself in that moment, imagining Jesus taking on the sins of the world, God dying on a cross, and then like the earth just shaking and the temple mm-hmm. curtain tearing. like And everything going dark yeah. in the middle of the day too. Like the sixth to ninth hour was like noon to three, yep. I think. So it was very much in the middle of the day. Imagine being the people too who are around. Like, I don't know if, I'm sure some people are now associating like oh my gosh what have we done yeah oh for sure you know they're thinking that but they think well he's dead and then a few days pass and so I'm sure that they're not right even close to ready for what's next but yeah um that makes me think of I don't know if y'all have ever do you remember a couple of years ago there was a solar eclipse during the day yeah do you remember that um And so when everyone was saying, okay, this eclipse is going to happen, it's like in the middle of the day. I think it was like one o'clock or something. And there were different places that were having like viewings kind of like they would have a party. Everyone would have their like solar protection glasses. And you knew that at this certain point, that's when the eclipse was going to happen. We had our glasses and right before it happened, it like the whole sky turned like pink in the middle of the day. And then mm-hmm. it was completely black for like one minute. Yeah, it was wild. And then back to pink and then normal. It was so strange. And I'll never forget that feeling just of being in awe of how nature works. And obviously, mm-hmm. as we all know, like God created every element of nature. So it's like, for me, I was in awe of God in that moment of just all the ways that he works. But can you even imagine, yeah, like it going dark in the middle of the day with an earthquake and the temple curtain tearing. No. I mean, I would, you would just know, like, we just yeah. killed the Son of God. It's wild. And I think so, what we want y'all to hear from this section is like, Jesus has paid the price, He's done it. Yeah. All the striving, like, we can't do anything to try and prove ourselves to Him, to try and be better. Like, He paid the price for our sins. It's like what you were saying with Pilate, no matter what, like, Pilate still sinned. Like, we all are still full of sin. Yeah. But because of Jesus, we can enter into the presence of God. And specifically because of what will happen in the next, in the coming chapters. Right. Um, But we want y'all to hear that, like, Jesus allowed himself to thirst, to be separated from God so that he could take on our sins, so that we could have a relationship with him that doesn't require us to go through crazy purification rituals and all like everything (laughs) to be able to enter the temple. Like Jesus is the temple and we can come to him at any time. Um, And here's one thing to think about before we move on to the last section is it was so painful and Jesus was like craving the living water and the presence of God in those few moments. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how long he was separated from God, but like, his response to that was, I thirst. And so Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that and how it applies to us. Like we're so busy and it's just way too easy to not spend time with God. 
And yeah. is our response, I thirst, or do mm-hmm. you just adjust and move on and find other things to kind of fill that void? I think that it's mm-hmm. really um, a cool opportunity to remind ourselves that the living water is what yeah. we're craving mm-hmm. and it is what fills us up because I'm not God. Yeah. <laughs> so like, right. I need to be abiding in him every minute of every day. Hmm. That's so true. I love that, Emily. Okay, so to close us, I'm going to read this last little section and it's actually going to set us up really well for next week because next week things get brighter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it says, this is verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And that is the end of chapter 19. And the good news is that in chapter 20, we find out that Jesus doesn't remain dead, that this is not the end of the story. He doesn't just die on the cross and that's it. There's so much more even in these last two chapters. So definitely tune in with us next week as we finish out the book of John. I can't believe we're already here. I know. (laughs) I can't either. So come back for next week and we will talk about the most exciting and hopeful part of the entire story. We love y'all so much and keep tuning in for our Tuesday and Thursday devotionals. Some people have been sharing really great stuff. So if you haven't been checking with those, go back and listen to them. They're like between three and 10 minutes. They're just so good. So we'll see y'all next week. See ya. Bye.